We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hello and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 68. Our guest today is a super talented young show jumper who has trained with some of the best in the sport, like John and BZ Madden, Johnny and Kitty Barker, Andre Dignelli, and Stacia Madden. She now is the owner and operator of Spring Ledge LLC, which is a top-of-the-line hunter-jumper facility in Virginia. So here to talk today about how she got to where she is today and what's to come, here is our guest, Sloane Coles. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's my pleasure. I would love to hear about how you got to where you are today, how you got introduced into the equestrian world. So how did it all get started? So I grew up in a family of horses. My dad was a steeplechase jockey growing up. His mom bred ponies, so he grew up always around horses. My mom got into horses. She lived in Indiana, Indianapolis, and she ended up biking to a barn and just taking riding lessons and falling in love with it. So she actually became a professional, mostly did the hunters. So when I was born, it was kind of ponies in the backyard, and I was the youngest of three. So we always kind of rode just around the farm, and I was addicted from a very young age. My brother and sister loved it, but I was just wanted to always be riding. So I did. And I was lucky that my parents were into it and it was a pretty special childhood. Amazing. So you grew up in the Midwest? No, Virginia. My mom grew up in Indiana. Got it. You rode and did ponies and started showing. What did that look like? Well, growing up where we live in Virginia is a lot of, you know, open space, a lot of trail rides. So we grew up kind of going fox hunting and, you know, hunter trials and just more the backyard horse shows. And then I think my parents realized I was more serious. And so when I was about nine, I started in the small ponies. And then it kind of became more serious, like A shows and training with with higher level professionals. At, at what point did you feel like that transition happened that you're like, I think I want to start doing this a little bit more seriously? Oh, it was like a whole new world. So I think it was just exciting. I mean, I we ended up with a pony, a small pony named Flash Gordon. He was fancy, but he was he was pretty difficult and he was kind of given to us. And I think seeing that whole new world of Wellington and going to indoors for the first time. It was exciting and I liked the competitive feel. You know, I wanted to win. So I think I was probably nine or 10 and I kind of knew I loved trail rides and I loved fox hunting, but I wanted to do more. And you still do quite a bit of fox hunting, correct? Yeah, this year I didn't get to go out as much as I normally do, but I do try and get out as much as possible. My dad's master of our hunt. It's really special. So I try and get out and it's a 
great adrenaline rush. It's very yeah. fun. Oh, that's so cool. I love it. So you were doing all different areas, whether that was fox hunting or a little bit of trail riding, starting to get into some serious showing in the hunter world. You were also doing some other sports too. You were in lacrosse, right? I always played a sport and I played sports through high school. I never thought I would have continued, yeah. but it just kind of happened. And I'm glad I'd always played a sport and I had people around me that supported that because you're traveling so much and you're on the road so much with the horses. So it's nice to be a part of a team at school. Yeah, that can, it can kind of be a little isolating sometimes. Yes, of course. Yeah. So then at what point were you thinking, okay, I think I want to do the horse thing full-time as a career? I knew I always wanted to go to college and I loved being a part of school and I didn't exactly know the direction I wanted my riding, but I did know I wanted to compete at the highest level. So I don't know when I decided that was going to be my job. I think when I was younger in the back of my mind, I was maybe going to have a real job, but that soon faded as I kind of just fell into having my own business. I'm glad I did at a young age. And I was lucky. I had clients that wanted to come to me and people wanted to send horses to me. So it was wonderful. It just kind of happened. I would say I was, yeah, a year out of college. Mm -hmm. What would you say are some pivotal moments or some big influences in your life within the equestrian industry? I think my first pivotal moment was making the decision, I think it was 12 or 13, and we were doing everything ourselves and kind of getting help from trainers here and there. And we made the decision to go with Heritage and Patricia Griffith started training me and it was definitely a pivotal point in my riding. She she really buckled down and I was in group lessons and quite a jump though I bet. Yeah, yes it was. <laughs> I remember I remember understanding how to make a distance work, you know, if you see something a little deep or a little long and putting the whole courses together and making it fluid. And she made it click for me. I mean, I was just on a children's hunter, but the lessons she gave on a children's hunter were not side diagonal side. I mean, we were doing bending lines, playing with numbers, mm -hmm. you know, jumping a little bit bigger at home than we would jump in the show ring so that when we got to the shows, we were very prepared. Definitely. And at some point you started working with Beacon Hill also, correct? Yes. Yeah, so I was at a point where I was living in Virginia and Heritage kind of gave me a good foundation. And I always rode with Johnny and Kitty Barker in The Hunters, which was amazing. I learned a lot from Kitty. She gives incredible lessons. And even though we concentrated mostly on The Hunters, she did a lot for me. And it was at that point where I knew the equitation I needed to concentrate on. So I was about 15 and actually Frank reached out to me, Madden, and it was a great fit. Stacia and Frank gave me incredible opportunities, a lot of horses, and the lessons were great. And I was, I had great barn mates too, which was important because mm -hmm. we had good lessons and I learned a lot from everybody I was around. So that was, I mean, Beacon Hill was a place where I really was riding a lot of horses. And that's when I started working with BZ, with Frank's connection there. And it just, it just all came together there. 
it seems like growing up, was there emphasis on a single ring? Were you doing mostly hunters or equitation? At what point were you doing jumpers? So I did a lot of the hunters always, and I always showed junior hunters. But I, for the hunters, I did mostly catch riding. I loved the hunters and I loved showing a nice hunter, mm-hmm. but I, I knew my concentration was going to be the jumpers. Got it. So my focus was definitely from 15 on, I knew I wanted to concentrate on the jumpers. Amazing. And so then you started pivoting and creating your own training program. At what point did that come to be? I was with Beacon Hill through my last junior year. And I, you know, I had a great foundation from so many different trainers. So whether Johnny and Kitty Barker, I had Heritage. And then after Beacon Hill, I was lucky enough to be with BZ for a while. And that was incredible. I mean, her flat work is, you can just watch and learn. You know, she's just, she's obviously a legend. So Mm -hmm. it was pretty incredible learning from her. And then I spent almost five years with Mark Leone. And I'd say that was a huge part of what I've created. Mark kind of gave me more than I ever thought. I learned so much from him. And so it was after him I started my business. And I think I have taken what I love from each of my mentors. So that's been nice. Definitely. So now you have your own program and are are busy with that. Mm-hmm. Um, how does your life look like now that you have your own horses in training and time at home? What does that home time look like for you, for your horses to keep them in shape and keep them focused to go show? Well, it's a little different right now because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we were our program right now. It's similar to what it would be, but you know, we don't have a horse show on the horizon. So let's say you are prepping for a horse show. Let's say, yeah, let's say I got home from Kentucky and I'm prepping for, I mean, I got home from Wellington and I'm prepping for Kentucky. I'm very lucky where I am in Virginia that I have hills and trail rides. So I try and spend at least three days a week outside the ring. Cool. I do especially with my own horses, my Grand Prix horses, my young horses. I spend a lot of time with them and just kind of ride on the buckle and let them trot up hills and just relax a bit. I think it's really important. And then I would say we get home from Wellington. We have a few easy weeks where we're maybe riding the horses every other day. Mm -hmm. And then we jump twice a week. We do grids, gymnastics, and then kind of put a course together once a week. And I always try and make the horses feel good about themselves, teaching them something, but you got to be hard on the hard on them. So they learn, but let them feel good about their jobs. Yeah. I feel like instilling that confidence yeah. uh, for those horses is, is super helpful mm-hmm. for them to perform their best for you. Before we get in a word from our sponsor, I want to talk about them for a little bit because I have worked with and worn Tucker Tweed equestrian products for a while now, and I love them. The quality leather is amazing, and I'm always wearing their Wellington wristlet and their backpack. The products are stunning. If you are familiar with Tucker Tweed Equestrian, then you most likely know and have seen how often they promote their retail partners. With the cancellation of a number of nationwide horse shows, many retail partners are missing out on key opportunities to see and service their clients. 
So, to support their partner tax stores, Tucker Tweed is encouraging you to shop tax store websites during those Miss Horse Show dates or purchase through Tucker Tweed directly, but then make sure to tag the respective tax stores in the order notes. This way, we can all support tax stores and each tax store receives credit for any purchases made. Thank you so much for that reminder, Jill Tweedy, founder of Tucker Tweed. You are amazing, Jill. Thank you for everything that you're doing. Okay, let's get back to the episode. What are some kind of go-to jumping exercises that you like to work on? For all all of my horses, I would say, whether it's the clients having lessons, my young horses, my Grand Prix horses, I like to play with different numbers over small fences. So for example, right now in my ring, I have a little exercise set up, just a four to a four, normal four to four. So at that height, it does ride a little bit long. Mm -hmm. So just in a straight line down the middle of the ring, you know, normal four, normal four. And then you play with the numbers. You come off the right lead and you start maybe five to five, come off the left lead. And once your horse does that well, five to five, both ways, then you can play with the four to the four. So you you learn to open up their stride. And then you maybe do the five to the five and then right to the four to the four. So you're playing with lengthening their their stride a bit down the long side, shortening their stride. And then if once you're doing that well and once the horse is doing that well, then you can make it a little bit harder and say you come in and you start with the four and then you do five in the second part. Mm -hmm. So you do that off both leads and then maybe you do the five and the four. So you're learning over the middle Cavaletti how to you know, balance your horse and set up for the next line. I also have off of the second four, I have a bending on either side. Mm-hmm. So that's a bending five. So then you can play with that and incorporate, and then you can make a whole pattern. And yeah. um, if it's difficult for your horses or riders, just make it simple. You can even put rails on the ground in the beginning and play with that throughout the week. So I love doing that. And I, I always have maybe a little bounce set up, you know, just nine feet, 10 feet and get the horses and riders used to, used to that. It's good for the super for the horses. And it's also very good for the riders balance. So those are just little exercises I always play with. And I also always have maybe a cross rail with a nine foot rail on both sides and you can trot in or canter in. It's a, some people struggle a little bit cantering and finding their distance. I like to tell the riders to find the distance to the pole. Um, and that helps with the horse's balance. I really mm-hmm. like doing doing that and straightness. You know, the cross rail helps with the straightness. Right. Yeah. Um, so I kind of always have that set up in my ring. Mm-hmm. There's other exercises I always I always work on. Let's go back to the four to the four, because mm-hmm. I feel like that's something that is very straightforward, but can be very challenging because to do it in a way, adjusting those striding and making it look seamless, mm-hmm. it can be tricky. So let's yeah. say you are, you've just gone through it and you've done five to the five, just in a straight line. And then you're tracking left and you are about to do a five to a four. Mm-hmm. What, tell me a little bit is what's going through your mind and your aids to make that happen. So say we're coming off the left lead to our four to a four and we've done that well. 
We've done the five to the five well, and we want to do five to four. So you want to visualize before you do the exercise, every fence and what is going to make it easy. So for doing the five to the, you want to meet that second element moving forward. So come in with a collected canner. So you're doing your five early. So that last stride in your five can be moving forward and it matches the four. So you're making your life a bit easier. If you do your five late and then you're getting to your second element deep, then you're having to gun for the five. So visualize that and break it down. You know, if you're struggling, if your horse is struggling or you're struggling, maybe halt a couple times in that first five so that they're coming back correctly and just patience. And then opposite, say you're doing the four to the five, which is very difficult to get them back in the five. You want to come in with an open canner in your four and meet the second element slowing down. And it's really important to think about your body control, weight in your heels over your second jump. You know, mm-hmm. you don't need a, it's a small jump. So you don't need to lean up the neck. You almost need to be a little bit open with your shoulders so that you're landing right away in your heel. You know, that's something if you watch BZ, she just, on the backside of the fences, she's, she's got her balance. She can just, she can move a horse with her balance and they're so in tune to her because she's trained them so well. And she does these kind of exercises and to land with your weight in your heel. So they're prepared to come back. Right. You're not taking all this extra time to quick get the connection back because it's, it's, it's consistent and stays. Yeah. And then your balance is correct. Same thing. If you struggle a bit, halt them in the five so that they're aware that they're going to slow down. Yeah. That's a great exercise. So let's say you are day of a horse show. What does that look like for you as you are preparing that morning? It's different for every horse. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important to know your horse. It's easy to get stuck in a program with a horse or with a person. So don't be scared to change up your program a little bit. Mm-hmm. So normally, I mean, say I'm preparing for a big Grand Prix. Obviously, I've prepared through the week and through the month. Right. So depending on how my horse has felt that week, that makes a difference. Say they've they've been a little fresh or a little bit strong. The morning of the Grand Prix, I might flap them for a while, work on their balance or connection, maybe galloping them on the flat and halting them just so they're aware of my aids. Mm-hmm. And then if it's a horse with a little more blood, I like to put them on the lunge line, maybe right before they go up to the ring with the tack on or a little bit before they show just to loosen up. It's good for their back and muscles and, you know, say it just, it depends on my horse. And after every competition, knowing what worked 
and kind of adjusting for next class. I think that's a really good point to make because it's not such a set in stone thing because every horse is so different from the next. Yeah, and, and sometimes kind of- you maybe need to jump the horse in the morning before it shows mm-hmm. or sometimes don't be afraid to sh- just let your horse go out for some grass in the morning and see how they are just doing class early. Yeah. You're going to save your horse at the end of the day. Right. Absolutely. What would be an area of the industry that you are particularly passionate about that you feel like the rest of the equestrian industry doesn't know a lot about or doesn't talk enough about? That's a hard question. The first part of the question, what I'm passionate about is definitely the welfare of the horses. Yeah. And I think there's wonderful, wonderful horsemen in our community. And then there's horses, unfortunately, that you see that aren't as well taken care of. But I think it's really important to let horses be horses and just be in tune with with their individual needs. Mm hmm. What do you feel like are some ways that us as horse riders and owners can do to kind of find those individual ways to keep a horse a horse? Well, I think there's the basics of just good horsemanship. And some people are lucky that they were mentored with a good horseman. Right. So I think start with the basics. But then letting a horse be a horse, I think there's a lot of people that are scared to turn horses out at the higher level and everybody's different. Every program's different. And for me, I think I try and let my horses have their own time where they're just relaxed, either in their stall or turned out. And it's different. You know, some people don't have the facility to be able to turn out, but That's big for me. So for you and your program, you find that in any situation kind of across the board that the turnout is helpful for a horse. Yeah. I mean, I think it's huge for horses turnout and finding a facility with good turnout is not always easy, but you know, the barns I rent, that's one of the biggest things I look at and I don't have a barn, you know, I have normally 12 to 15 is my number. So I'm lucky. I'm, I'm not a barn with 75 horses. It's hard yeah. for those barns. So it's just, that's my individual thing. Yeah, definitely. And I think finding things that work and finding that balance between things that work for your program and while still kind of maintaining the integrity of the horse and, and finding things that make your horses the happiest and healthiest. Yeah. And get to know your horse on the ground. I mm-hmm. think it's really important to, to learn each horse's language. I do a lot of groundwork with my horses and I think it's important for them to have the respect on the ground and learn what you're asking. And also you learn from their body language Mm -hmm. and it's, it doesn't have to be one specific horse. It's just horsemanship in general that you're, you're learning from each horse. Right. What does some of that groundwork look like for you? I do a lot of work in the round pen. I recently reread Monty Roberts book which is just, it's so interesting, you know, just the language of horses. And so I let them work a bit off the lunge, off the rope and just play with them. And then I do the join up. It's, it's fun and it's totally different. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I try and do a little bit of halter work where 
they're learning to move away from me towards me. Yeah. That's a little bit more Pirelli, but then you can play with it and make it your own. Mm -hmm. And some horses I've never done the round pen work with, but I try and do a little bit with each of my horses individually. So I have more of a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. And I have had difficult horses in the past that you get to the show and you can't get them, say you can't get a horse quiet. Mm -hmm. If you do groundwork and and round pen work with the horses at home, and and sometimes it doesn't look like you're doing much, it really helps when you get to the horse show. They're just they're ready to work, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's sometimes a misunderstanding for uh, freshness maybe and then a horse just not being fully understood. Or I think at the root of it, most horses, they, they do just want to please, but they don't have really a clear idea of what you want from them. Yeah, um, I've learned over the years, if I have a horse that gets to the show, now I don't have hunters anymore, so mm-hmm. I'm in a little bit of a different boat. Yeah, this was with the hunters. You know, I had a couple horses that I knew at the shows were very hard to get quiet. Mm-hmm. And a few days before we left for the show, I would, you know, play with them in the round pen and really work them and get them responding to me. And then you get to the show and you're prepared. Yeah. So. I had a lot of, I had a couple horses leave my program and everybody was like, oh, what medication did you give? Yeah, right. And it was nothing, maybe one perfect prep, but I did not give Depo or Dex or any of that. I think you've got to just figure it out. Mm -hmm. That's so prevalent in the hunter world with trying to get horses quiet enough for the ring. And I've had an instance where there was one that we could not, you could canner, 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 would not be quiet enough. But if he would go out, like have night turnout and be out at all night, loves being out. And he is now just like the easiest thing to prep. Exactly. If you're able to turn a horse out all night, I mean, you're going to notice a huge difference and we do that. I mean, as soon as we got home from Florida, our our show horses are turning out at night. And so that makes a big difference. I think if you're having to do that much work to get them quiet, something's not right. Mm -hmm. Not something's wrong and you've got to kind of figure it out in a different way. Yeah, I think that that's a really great point. Um, well, Sloan, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Equestrian Podcast. We've learned so much and I am so excited to keep continuing to follow your journey and I wish you all the best. Thank you so much. All right, that is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much, and I will talk to you next week.